0: John eight and the story of the woman caught in adultery is familiar to both Christian and non-Christian. From it, we derive lessons about judging others who, in their sin. But is this part of the scriptures?
1: This is Considerate, where we are considering questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Considerate is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church in
0: New Braunfels, Texas you have questions regarding life, theology, or the church? If so, text the word REDEMPTION and your question to 830-299-7505. Again, that's 830-299-7505, and we will consider your question.
1: To learn more about our church and our ministry here, visit redemption.bible. I'm Michael Hawkins. And I'm Blair Cushman. Let's consider it welcome back to consider it Um, this morning's question blair is redemption if it was not included in the earliest manuscripts is john 753 through 811 actually scripture and is it okay to read and draw lessons
0: from it Hmm, that's a good question i like it when we get questions like this don't you Yep. Yeah, just those questions uh, that show people are like reading their Bible. Yeah, it's encouraging, right? They're noticing the things in in Scripture and uh, those little indicators, I guess, in the uh, in in the text that uh, that should you know just to, to Bible students as we're reading it to cause us to ask these kind of questions. Yeah. You know, and, and the the Scripture we're talking about today is probably familiar to m- most people. Um, this the story of the woman caught in adultery, right? You know, if you've watched Christian movies or those like Bible story things, they often include this story. Even non-Christians, uh, you know, know this story and will use it uh, to like point out hypocrisy uh, in uh, in Christians or uh, you know, in judgmental Christians and things. And so. Um, And yet, when we come to the actual text and read it, you probably notice there's like these brackets around it with a little note saying the earliest manuscripts do not include uh, this uh, portion of Scripture. Uh, Very similar to uh, the end of Mark 16 as well. And so, uh, maybe some people aren't familiar with it. It's not a long passage, so I actually want to just go ahead and read it um, for people, uh, especially if you're driving and things. You can just follow along and listen. You don't have to pull out your Bible, but... I just want to read this passage so we have it before us. And it says this. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And so that's the story. Again, probably familiar, but uh, this... uh, woman caught in egregious sin. The Pharisees, you know, bring her to Jesus and uh, want Jesus to do something about it. You know, they they have murder on their hearts right. and uh, and are hopeful that Jesus is going to be the one to lead the charge in this. And he apparently does not. Yeah, um, and
1: I think, too, we, we see that the the Pharisees, once again, are almost trying to trap Yeah, Jesus. And this is a common thing that we see in Scripture that they come trying to to get Jesus to say or to do something um, according to their agenda. Right. And he, once again,
0: flips right, it right, on its head. Right. Which is so interesting that you mention that because many of the elements of the story seem very in line with the rest of the narrative of Scripture. Right. Jesus' actions, like you'd see Jesus doing this and the Pharisees are testing him all throughout his you know three years of earthly ministry. And so it seems like, wow, this is, the, of course, this is biblical. Right. And yet, upon closer scrutiny to the actual flow of John, and then also understanding how we've gotten our Bible and what things are allowed into the canon, that's where we get the brackets. Right. And the question, uh, and I think he's even prompting the question that's been submitted today as to why... You know what do we do with this? What does right. this even mean? Why is it in here? Why didn't why haven't uh, you know our editors of our Bible like Crossway who does the ESV why didn't they, you know, clip this out of our Bible and and get it out of here? Yeah,
1: so. it's interesting. I think one of the the main questions is because it doesn't really show up in the manuscripts until like the 5th century. Yeah. And so there's this this gap where it's it's missing and so where did it come from? How did it get there? And and so that text criticism that as we learn to study the Bible and its original um, canonicity and, and
0: understanding all those things really help us to grasp how and what we do it right with yeah like world. what how did we even get the Bible yeah. you know and uh, we have another podcast on canonicity and that uh, that uh, not exhaustively but hopefully helpfully uh, a, a just answered that question of how did we get the 66 books that are in our Bible? Why are things not included? And uh, much of that goes back to the origins of the manuscripts yeah. and how the the earliest ones that we have, and especially like John, we have uh, all the way into the the, the like uh, 127 AD, I believe is right, the first right. like fragment of the book of John. And so we have uh, particularly with this book, some very, very early manuscripts yeah. and and so then the bulk of that, how we know, like okay, what was inspired, what was original, uh, wasn't determined by man. Obviously, it was determined by God. And the affirmation then of the early church and those councils and things that God used those those people to do that. But it was, uh, but but it was the consistency. And so that's why, like in those brackets, the earliest manuscripts don't have this. Mm-hmm. And so, where you know you've said that it like popped up in like the fifth century, but really most of our manuscripts don't have it, and really nobody until the twelfth century actually even like comments on it right. on on a story like this. And so, as you think of like church fathers, other pastors, and theologians, nobody is commenting on this until then. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why they think it was added in as a part of an oral tradition or stories, a historical rendering of an account, right. but wasn't actually a part of the inspired text. The Holy Spirit working through the Apostle John, who wrote this book, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, right. working through him. He was not the author, the origin, Holy Spirit inspiring him um, uh, to to write this and uh, include it in the scriptures, right?
1: And and we want to understand too that as they are writing out the historical events of Jesus's ministry in the Gospels, it's not an exhaustive list. Mm-hmm. And so, this and many other circumstances like this are very potentially you know accurate historical events. Right. We don't have anything to you know confirm it specifically. But because it is in line with Jesus' character, and what we see in the rest of Scripture, we can say that you know this likely was a historical event. But the difference is that it's not the inspired word right. that you just mentioned, um, as the Spirit was prompting John. Right.
0: To, to write, write right the right and so there's there's kind of several things big you know scholarly words that we've thrown out there canonicity yep. uh inspiration <laughs> authority uh all, all those words when it comes to the scripture that we really believe that gives it its power you know right. while we preach it and its transforming uh, uh effect on us through the holy spirit and so when it just comes to like inspiration how uh, we can like a passage like this is when you're reading through just the flow of, of John, like if you take away all the, the verse and chapter markers, the verses that we just read here in 753 through 811, really they disrupt the flow, you know, and, and like you were saying in the scriptures, it's not like John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are trying to like write a detailed account of everything that Jesus ever did. Right. They're writing uh, with a point. They're, they're trying to prove something, and and they have a flow in the narrative, um, and, and even how they organize the details and all of that stuff. Um, you know, that's where sometimes, like, uh, textual critics will get mad because, well, Mark's historical cr- chronology is different than Matthew's right. and Luke's, and, and then John is just, like, totally different. Right. And so, oh, this thing is full of errors and all that, and it's like, time out, time out. Like... You're trying to make this like a a historical, chronological book, and that's not – they're writing to prove a point. And and so as you read through John here, this is like – this this is taken like – it's just like inserted awkwardly. Which also then leads to, because it's not in the earliest manuscripts, it doesn't fit the flow and the point that John is making here in uh, in his teaching and division, and he's actually the light, and then this whole thing drops in the middle. Um, it, it, it just doesn't make sense to the flow and the argument that John is making. So that also leads us to them to believe, okay, that's not canonical. Because we don't have the earliest manuscripts, it's not inspired. Then, because it's not fitting the flow and the theme that that John, by the Holy Spirit, is making, which then we conclude. Well, then it's not authoritative.
1: Right.
0: Because it's only authoritative if it comes from the Holy Spirit. John, as an apostle, doesn't make it uh, authoritative any more than you know me writing a blog, or <laughs> right. you, you know you uh, t- t- counseling somebody, yeah. or me preaching you know my own historical life events about my own life or somebody else's. Right. That's that's not what makes uh, the. Holy Scripture is authoritative. Right. It's authoritative because it comes from the Lord. Right, the ultimate authority. The right. ultimate authority, <laughs> absolutely. And so, when He was inspiring them, the the writers of the Bible to write it, this story was not included.
1: Yeah, um, yeah I think you know, just thinking through that concept. Second Peter 1, mm-hmm. 21 for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human. Or though human, I'm sorry, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit,
0: mm.
1: and so that um, that dual authorship, that like you said, humans were writing, crafting, and developing a theological point, yeah, but they were also being inspired and led by the Holy Spirit, God Himself, um, and so that they were speaking in their own language, their own. Thoughts, and yet it still has the authority of, of the Holy Spirit right. uh, prompting and giving
0: them right. the words to write. Right, right, and so that's 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 how we have to like view a text like this, yeah. likely historically true. Yeah just not scripturally authoritative. Yeah. And so what do we do with right. it? Right. So what do we do with it? You know, and it's it's the same like this text you can put it in the same category that's Mark 16 at the end of that uh, and uh, even books like the apocrypha mm-hmm. and and those that you know the like the Roman Catholics c- c- include those books in their bible which again they there's some historically accurate things in there yeah. but they are not scripturally inspired. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they are non-authoritative. Yeah, I think like
1: Josephus yeah. is uh, one of those scholarly writers that falls into this category where mm-hmm. he writes a lot about the the history of what was happening, and I think that a lot of scholars use his writings to to go back and just understand the culture, the context of what mm-hmm. was going on at the time. Yeah, but at the same time,
0: it, it's not biblical it's right not right those yeah. things are helpful like evidence to yeah. verify what the bible is saying yeah. but they are not what th- those extra sources are not what give the scriptures their veracity their truthfulness yeah. nor their authority it is god who does and because we believe these are god's words that's what gives its authority even if none of those things existed out there yeah like the bible's truthfulness doesn't rely upon archaeological evidence or other historical documents. Even if all of those things were absent, it would still be authoritative and truthful because it's from the Lord. Right. Now those things are helpful. Yeah. They they can give us confidence that yeah, these things are true and all these other things back it up. Yeah. But that's not what necessarily what gives it its authority if that's what it means and so. Right. But uh, so yeah, let's let's go to the question then, because I think the question is a good one. All right, we get all these things, we understand this. Well, then, what are we to do about it? Yeah, yeah? should we even read it? Do I need to take a pair of scissors to my Bible and just <laughs> cut this little section out? Yeah. Um, what, yeah. what, what, Don't what, do any dissecting. Right. So so I think that's helpful. Like, what should the you know just the average Christian yeah. reading through the Bible in a year or reading through the Book of John? You know, what are what should they do with this? Like, what what do they make of this? They cover it up, they cut it out, they glance over it, chew on it. Like, what yeah. what, what do we do with it? I think just
1: from the just the surface level is just understanding what it is, mm. because once we understand what it is, then we can start moving toward um, the helpfulness of it, um, the role that it plays and why you know, these Zondervan and all these other you know, um, Crossway yeah. continue to, to put these into the words of our Bible and yeah. you know, one of the questions a lot of people may have is like, oh, well, if this is in Scripture, why is it here and then can I actually trust the validity of right. any of this stuff yeah. and um, the I think the answer is yes yeah <laughs> um, but yeah the the initial thing is okay if it's not scripture why is it here what can we do with it right. and I think it in its most basic sense it's it's an illustration yeah of the way Jesus handled difficult situations mm-hmm. um, and that we can use the rest of scripture to to really pick it apart and dissect
0: it and and understand the purpose yeah. within it.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. You know, going back to the question that was submitted, is it okay to read and draw lessons from it? Yeah. You know, the very simple answer, you know, how many ever minutes into the podcast, where it's like, <laughs> yes, it's okay to read and to draw lessons from it, I, yeah. I think, understanding where it fits in its proper place yeah. in the rest of Scripture. And so, no, you don't have to glance over it. You don't have to cut it out. You don't have to do anything like that. You can read it, but then also, like, I think what's helpful in how you said it, it's illustrative. You know, we take it as secondary to Scripture and not authoritative. Yeah. And so, are there some lessons to be learned here? Absolutely. But they should be, uh, so long as they are uh, illustrating and not are uh, like the rest of Bible the Bible scriptures, yeah. and not coming from a place of origin, and in it's informing us in how we are to act. Yeah, if that uh, distinction yeah. makes I sense. Think,
1: you know, I've I've even found myself using this in in counseling. Yeah. At times. Yeah. Again, being cautious of that distinction yeah. to to not you know preach it or direct it as. Authority, but to give people an example of how we can respond in right. certain situations, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's a you know just it helps us to recognize our heart posture at mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are we are we living in a way that allows us to to have grace toward others? Yeah, um, and so that illustration is a helpful one to go to one because as you said this is just a well-known popular story and so as people are familiar with it just going to it and uh, just recognizing the just a way that we can present ourselves and, and carry ourselves in
0: conflict with
1: others right, um, you
0: right. Know, as we care for people right if it's an open door into the rest of scripture and all yeah. that you know as you're talking to somebody you find yourself in conflict or somebody's in sin and how do we deal with it or whatever like yeah if this is the open door and then to get to the rest of scripture's teaching you know and it's authoritative commands yeah. and and uh narratives on these things then absolutely let's yeah. you know let's use it that way but here here maybe is a helpful distinction because we've you know we've thought in terms of like well just the uh, you know average Christian reading my Bible, going through, you know, chronological thing or reading John, but also like think maybe it's helpful to think in terms of like a pastor. So me, you know, preaching, preaching sequential exposition, you know, we go through books verse by verse, you know, in order. That's what we mean. And we come to the text and we draw out the truth and the meaning we draw it out of the text to preach it. That's, you know, what what we do. That's expositional preaching. We're not, we don't, I don't like start with an idea over here in my mind and then read it into the text or try to go find a passage to prove my point. Right. And I'm studying the passage. All right. What is God communicating to the original audience there? Yeah. And what does that mean? And then I'm trying to bridge that gap to us today and draw those, the you know, those lessons or those applications for obedience for uh, for Christians today in New Brunfels, Texas. Um, And so, if I was preaching through the book of John, I would not preach this text. I would be working my way through. I'd get to chapter 7, and I would skip over this. I mean, not just gloss over it. I'd probably Mm. say something along these lines or refer them even to this podcast, maybe. (laughs) Um, But then I would pick it up in verse 12 of chapter 8 as the exposition here of preaching because that uh, expositional preaching is also proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology right that's what we do that's what we believe it's one of our pillars we come to the Bible we proclaim its truths it's authority and we don't make any excuses for it right here's the word of God uh, it has authority over our life and we need to come under that right we can't say that about this text right. so I would not do that yeah I think in that it would be. Similar to just grabbing any
1: historical yeah. event, opening a history book and saying, this event happened, and so I'm going
0: to preach a sermon right over this historical Right, event. right. Yeah, go to World War II or something, <laughs> and I'm going to preach about D-Day or something yeah. like that. Ab- absolutely. And, and so I wouldn't do that. Right. But here's where it could show up in a sermon as something like that, as something illustrative. Or you know a historical point in the same way that I might use a a, a you know historical event that happened to uh, to kind of bring some color or clarity to the truth from the scripture. I may use a, a, a this story here as an illustration mm-hmm. to. To uh, bring some light to that, you know, to Jesus' commands, you know, judge not lest you be judged. Or you know, like, okay, what does that mean here? You know, and how does Jesus' actions here? And, and so that could bring some light to the truth from the rest of Scripture that is authoritative. Yeah. But I would not make this the starting place. Right. Because we can't say with the same confidence like we can the rest of Scripture, you know, minus the end of Mark 16, and, which is actually what I've done. Now, I've never preached verse by verse through the book of John um, here at Redemption, and, but I have done Mark. And so, those that were here may remember, like, I preached all the way through Mark and then on Resurrection Sunday, that uh, here, got to, I think it's like verse 8, 16, 1 through 8. But I didn't preach 9 to the end because it has the same brackets and these same things. And so, made a comment about, you know, that the, the, it's not authoritative. And so, um, and did not yeah. preach it. And I think that's so
1: important to at least. Recognize it. I, I think sometimes when pastors don't know what they're supposed to do with it, they'll either one preach it as if it has authority, yeah, or they'll just ignore it completely, right? And so, um, I think it's important that we do recognize that it's there and the right. importance
0: in which it holds, right? But to distinguish it, yeah, from the authority, right? That yeah, that, that's just has. bad shepherding, just to like gloss over it and not yeah. look and not even acknowledge that it's in here. That's just creating confusion for, yeah. you know, for people like, well, why is my Bible in? Why is it in here? So, yeah. um, you know, obviously people are asking questions. They submitted it to yeah. the you know, to the podcast about what are we to do with this? So, so I hope that's kind of helpful for people to like understand and to get the differences and all this. No, you don't have to cut it out. No, you don't have to just cover it up. No, you don't. Cl- uh, it does have a place in our understanding just not necessarily in our authority uh, and, and how we are to obey, and so it's we just keeping things prioritized in this way, and that's what we um, that's what we make of a, a text like this. Right. Thanks for tuning in to Consider It, where we are considering your questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider It is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, Texas. If you would like to submit a question, text the word redemption and your question to 830-299-7505. To learn more about our church and the ministry here, visit redemption.bible. Thank you for your support and listening. Join us next time as we consider it.